Welcome to a very special episode of Second Chance Cinema called Be Kind, Rewind. This is our final movie review episode of season one, which came at the beginning of the lockdown of 2020. Before recording our epic Michael Bay episode, we sampled trying to record a podcast through Skype alone for two episodes. Since then, we have found the amazing podcast recording program of Zencaster, which allowed us to record remotely for season two and bring on all of our friends as guests from other locations around the country. So in this episode, there is cursing and our hosts do spoil movie endings but we also promote the movies as is our goal with them all and tw as in trigger warning or even tired of warning since this was the beginning of the pandemic we talk a lot about covid19 and our initial reactions to it and the science that we knew at the time some of this may be outdated and all of it since we are not scientists should be taken with a grain of sodium chloride. But we understand if you have pandemic fatigue and just want to skip this episode. But if you're here for it, enjoy the show. Excuse me, General, you got a minute? Oh, there you are, Sam. Colonel Briggs has been looking for you. Colonel, take this man into custody. We're a deep shit, Billy. The virus is aerosolized. What are you talking about? It's going airborne. Colonel, would you excuse us? Certainly, sir. Mataba is only spread through direct human contact. Now, you said that yourself, Sam. I know what I told you, but now I'm telling you we're facing a new strain. What? It spreads like the flu. Impossible. Fine. Go to the hospital, check it out yourself. Go without a mask, you'll see more clearly. You got 19 dead, you got hundreds more infected, and it's spreading like a brush fire. You gotta isolate the sick, and I mean really isolate them, Billy. We gotta get everybody else back into the houses. We gotta keep them there. We're doing that, Sam. No, we're not doing it because I just drove through 100 people. And if one of them has got it, then 10 of them have got it. And if one of them gets out of Cedar Creek, Billy, then we're in deep fucking shit. And we're already in deep fucking shit. And if you're gonna arrest me, arrest me now. All right, Sam, all right. Don't threaten me. Don't threaten my crew. Please, leave us to do our work. All right, Sam, all right. Tonight, on a very special Second Chance Cinema, we take a look at the entirely timely and appropriate documentary film that was littered with accuracy and um, correct assumptions about science, etc. <laughs> Outbreak. So I just watched this about an hour ago for the first time, probably since it came out. And I'm going to do my very best to keep with the mission of this podcast, which is to promote and encourage people to watch these movies because they, despite possible initial criticisms, are redeeming. And I think that this one definitely has a lot of stuff in that arena, but it was also pretty ridiculous. <laughs> what I learned in the research and everything as I was watching this is this is actually based off a nonfiction book called The Hot Zone by Richard the Peterson. I remember I read that when it, when it came out. Really? Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I remember I... I read most of it. It was one of those, like, I think I got caught up in the hype and begged my mom to buy it for me. And then I probably read, like, about half of it before it either got too, like, weird or too above my grade <laughs> level. I don't know. What year was this? We were probably, like, 13 or 14 or something. Yeah, the movie came out. Yeah. So it was right around then, a couple years before. But um, we should note that for this issue, for this edition of the podcast, we're not actually in the same room nor the same city. No. We're practicing healthy habits. What's it called? Self, self, self distancing? No, uh, self quarantine. Self quarantine, but there's a shelter in place. That's what it is, right? Yeah. Sheltering in place. You're at your house. I'm at my house. We're I'm Skyping. Mm -hmm. 
And that all seems very appropriate considering the current state of the world. And we'll see how this goes. Like, we could keep this up. I did order a USB microphone in case my sitting in my walk-in closet does not help with the echo well, feature. Okay. You don't want to do that forever, you know? No, probably but, and, I mean, it's a nice closet, but it, is a nice it can only sit so far. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, Outbreak was a movie that... As soon as all the the Corona stuff happened, almost instantly popped up on Netflix, which good for them. Smart move. (laughs) When I watched it today, it was trending at number 10 on Netflix. Okay. Apparently, people are are kind of flocking to, and I'm imagining a lot of people are younger people who don't even know that it was a movie, and they're just seeing the title outbreak and the thumbnail of like Morgan Freeman in the hazmat suit, and they're like, "Oh, what's this? Is this is this is this really a documentary about? Oh, he probably narrates it, like one of those things, right?" Yeah, I think two films kind of everybody flocked to two different films. There's Contagion, Mm -hmm. I don't think is available like for free streaming, and then there's Outbreak. And the difference between the two, which I knew we were going to get into, I think that Contagion is more of a like a suspense drama, if you could call it that, whereas Outbreak doesn't quite know whether it wants to be a drama or an action movie. You could tell that Outbreak was based off science, mm-hmm. and then Hollywood grabs it about an yeah. hour to it. Because you said 95, right? So yeah. that was the same, that was around the same time, I forget the same exact year, but that was around the time of like those three summers where it was like Face Off, Con Air, The Rock, like all those just over the top, like that really, really great four years of sweet action movies. Hard Target was in there. I forget what else. The Lost World was one of those, I think. Uh, I said Face Off. But yeah, there were just a bunch of like big blockbustery, like, and, and that's obviously, you know, the summer movies. But for some reason, that period of time sticks out as like just crazy action movies. And I feel like Outbreak was like trying to dip its toe in that water. Right. To some degree, it did, but it it struggled between whether it wanted to be like a and it was almost there was a lot of political elements to it, too. Like it almost wanted to be like a political movie. And I think that's probably what I wouldn't say hurt it because commercially it did well. But a lot of the reviews that I read were kind of saying the same thing, like it didn't know what it was and and it just kind of was all over the place. Right. So let's take a look at the trailer. Um, We'll we'll listen to the trailer and we'll come back with our uh, with our outbreak poetry. In a remote African jungle, a small monkey is captured. Bound for a pet store in America, the animal carries a deadly virus. Now, I know that some of us have doubts about what we're about to do. We'd be less than human if we didn't. But the fate of the nation, perhaps the world, is in our hands. We cannot... We dare not refuse this burden. I'm confident that each of you will do his duty. God forgive us. Your town is being quarantined. We got 19 dead. You got 100 more infected. It's spreading like a brush fire. What are you talking about? If one of them's got it, then 10 of them have got it now. And if one of them gets out of Cedar Creek, we have a very interesting problem. If that bug gets out of there, 260 million Americans will be dead or dying. I'm leaving with the team in an hour. From the heart of a small California town. Damn it, Sam, I want to save these people same as you. To the inner circle of power in Washington. The most optimistic projection for the spread of the virus is this. 24 hours, 36 hours, 48 hours. The greatest medical crisis of all time. We can't stop it. Begins. 
to remain calm. Many people are dying and are going to continue to die unless we find this monkey. There will be panic, the likes of which we have never seen. There you are. Ends weird with like a bunch of like that was the end. Yeah, it was just like news news announcers. Yeah, it's just being like citizens of Earth. <laughs> so that was the first trailer we've listened to where like I know trailers are supposed to kind of give you a hint of what going what's going on in the movie. But that one literally spelled it out. <laughs> there is a monkey. The monkey is sick. The monkey's from Africa. The monkey goes to a pet store. The monkey scratches a man. And then yeah. it goes into the whole thing. All right. You want to go first? You want me to go first? Yeah, I think mine's kind of lame. Okay. <laughs> well, with that ringing endorsement, let's hear your poem about Outbreak. I got so, well, I did a haiku. And so I got so caught up on the first line's syllables because I couldn't say a word properly at all. Oh, okay. So I got Grey's Anatomies. Patrick Dempsey grabs monkey, becomes killer friend. Wow. So I try to throw like... What word Martha. could you say? Anatomy? Anatomy. <laughs> like I was trying uh, to... Anatomy. Four? Yep. So great. Yeah, okay. Mine's a little different because there was a part in the movie, I forget exactly when, but it reminded me very much of something I'd seen online dealing with Corona. And it was talking about, in the movie, they were talking about just like how disastrous this is going to become. Mm -hmm. So here's mine. I also did a haiku. (laughs) Shit. Shit, 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 shit. Shit, 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 shit. Shit, 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 shit. Fuck. <clears throat> because we'll, we'll let people we'll let people off the hook early if they don't want to listen to the whole show. I think the reason people need to watch this movie is because there's a happy end to a situation that doesn't exactly quite parallel what we're going through right now. Like we're not dealing with a flesh eating virus that liquefies your internal organs and makes you bleed out of your eyes, right. which is good. But there's also to, to some degree, I mean, there's a lot of parallels, you know, there is a, um, an outbreak pandemic. There is hysteria. There are, there was a great scene where those, the people in the town are like, we're getting out of here. And they, they, they try to make a break for the town border and their pickup trucks. And it's like, there there's, you know, like, I get it. <laughs> like, like I get, I get why, why this movie is especially relevant, not even specifically because of the disease, but because of like the humanity elements of, of the movie too. When I feel like you could like equate everything, like the, they were kind of, I guess just townspeople, but like getting into pickup trucks and be like, we're getting out of here is the same as, you know, these high or not high schoolers, college kids going like, I'm going to spring break. Like you can't stop me going to spring break. I mean, it is. And it isn't like it's one, it's a, it's a, it's an encroachment of free will, I suppose mm-hmm. is the, is what they're fighting against. But in the movie, those people were doing it to save their kids.
miserable? Damn it, people. There's no place to go. Go, go, go! We're almost there! What the hell are they trying to do? You know, like we're, well, the first truck was just three. not the first truck, but I got the feeling, and I didn't, I didn't know specifically, but I got the feeling that they were like friends of the families or something like that. Like I felt they had a more noble cause than going to Daytona Beach. I guess is what. Oh I was. yeah, no, they definitely did. But I mean, like it's the same, it's the same feeling where, and I think the government, you know, not to get political or anything, which is going to, no, be- we'll, we'll probably get political. I think, <laughs> but. I think the government is trying, they, there's going to be a pushback if they try to do anything like Italy, you know, like if they try to lock down people, oh, yeah. there's going to be that pushback. And I think that's what they're slowly trying to prevent, which they don't do an outbreak and outbreak. They're like, no, we're going to close down the city. Nothing's going to get out. Well, and to be fair, outbreak, they were, they were trying to contain a town of like 3000 people as opposed to a city of, you know, millions. Right. We had Outbreak on our original list, I think, two years ago. We did. Why was Outbreak on our original list? Because it did do commercially pretty well, especially for 95. But a lot of the the critical reviews, and I know we usually get into this at the end, but, you know, new media, maybe we can change things up a little bit. Why why is this a movie that people should, like, revisit again? let Let me ask you this. If there wasn't a global pandemic... Why would this movie have been on our list two years ago? A lot of the movies that I put on the list at the beginning were movies that for whatever reason, and as I watched Outbreak, I was like, I don't know why. But like Congo, Outbreak, Kiss the Girls, which we haven't gone to yet, were movies that I, Crimson Tide was another one. I would watch these movies before going to high school. Like I would pop the VCR or the VHS into the VCR, and these movies would get me psyched to go like in the morning before yeah. you actually went to school. Yeah, like I would be eating breakfast, watching Outbreak, and being like, "All right, I got to go to school now." That's and it, fascinating. <laughs> why? <laughs> I don't know. Like now, looking back, I'm like, I don't understand why this is. This was one of my picks, but like now, really. So you look at this movie, Cuba Gooding Jr. was just becoming a name, like we usually do with the the second chance cinemas. We look at these movies that have like a great cast that nobody knew about, like Kevin Spacey was just becoming relevant. Kevin Spacey was weird for me to look at, regardless of all the scandal that he's been involved in and and all that. Like seeing Kevin Spacey as like a thin, gangly, bleach blonde almost like military <laughs> scientist was just it was strange. It looked like it reminded me of what they did with Chris Evans in the first Captain America where they put him on like the little kid's body. It reminded me of that. It was like, oh that's Kevin Spacey's head, but that's like I don't know. That's that's like Slender Man's body. <laughs> it was person. weird. It was just weird. Of uh, Giovanna Rabisi from Basic. Do you remember? Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe a little bit. I can see some Rabisiness in in Kevin Spacey's portrayal. But the Cuba Gooding Jr. character, I I could do a whole show on him because he he was the character who made me look at the movie the most and just go, why? 
Like, what's why? Like the first thing, the way they paint him at first, he's this. uh, Was he a doctor or was he just like a? He was a soldier, but he was he had knowledge of diseases and stuff. I thought like he was he was was, I think he was trying to get into the CDC portion of. Okay, he was like scientist slash soldier with an emphasis on the soldier. I think right. (laughs) So, but they get him on this cargo plane and they're going to Africa to look at this. You know the the first waves of this virus, the Matoba virus. Motaba, Motaba, Motaba. He puts on this whole front of like, I haven't seen it, sir, but I'm ready. You can throw anything at me. You know, I'm, I know I'm new in the field, but nothing, ain't nothing going to shake me. And like, he puts on this whole big bravado and then they go into the actual village and he goes into the, they go into the, the safe house or the quarantine house or whatever. And they're looking at all the patients and then you hear the baby crying and he pulls back the curtain and there is, it's not even a baby. Like that was a baby's cry, but that was definitely like a six-year-old kid. Okay. (laughs) That was at least a six-year-old kid. And to me, and maybe it was because I was watching it on my phone. The kid didn't even look that bad. Like it was obvious that he was sick, but he looked more kind of just like, oh, I've had a rough day. And Cuba Jr. pisses his pants and runs out of the building. And I was like, this this must come back at the end. Like he must have a redemption arc or something like where where oh no, he takes off his mask. Well he throws up in it. Yeah. He throws up in his mask and then he takes it off and then he like runs away. So it must be so I thought like, oh maybe, you know, maybe he's gonna be part of the cure. Like somehow he got exposed to it earlier or something like that. Sorry, sir. It's all right. I've never seen anything like it before. I put the team in danger, sir. We're still here. I got scared, sir. You know, fear gets a bad rap, so... I don't want anybody working with me who isn't scared. Okay? Well, then I'm your man, sir. Fast forward to the end of the movie where they finally find the monkey and he's got the tranquilizer gun and he's stalking the monkey like ready to the, the little girl's coaxing it out of the bushes because it's her friend and she's she, you know he's right trying to get a clean shot and then for no reason at all he trips and stumbles like over a branch and he's like oh shit and the monkey's like ah! and starts to kind of run away and then nothing happens like it didn't resonate in the action at all it was just so weird like what was the point of him tripping and stumbling like i guess to add that little like bit of tension because he tripped and fell over i think it was like a potted plant or something like that and then the girl backed up so it gave him a clear shot to the monkey but was that the why wouldn't he just say hey back up girl i don't know it seemed like it, I would call this like an impulse buy of tension. Like when you're in the checkout line, you're like, oh, Sour Patch Kids, sweet. It seemed I felt like the director was like, we don't have enough tension here. Have him trip over a root. And that's what it was. So there were there were, there were a couple instances like that of Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character where I was just like, ah, I don't quite get it. Why he's doing the things that he's doing. I don't know. I feel, and he's the one character that I feel like the movie could have gone on and been the same without him. I, I think I only have one note of Cuba Gooding Jr.'s performance in this, and that was that he, he points with all four fingers, which I kind of want to inherit. Like when, uh, so they're like they're, and we're gonna jump around this movie, I guess. But like, so when they're hijacking the helicopter, okay, and the guy's like, "Well, my pilot's in the bathroom." I remember that. No, he said he's taking a leak. Yeah, he's taking a leak, and so Cuba turns which around. Not and, no, not not enough people say that. We got to bring that back. I'm gonna <laughs> a leak. I sprung a leak. <laughs> 
Okay, so they're going to commandeer the helicopter. Yeah, so uh, Cuba turns around. Okay. And the guy's like just standing there, and he says, like, why don't you go help him, Sergeant? But mm-hmm. when he, he turns around and he points with all four fingers, he's like, why don't you go help him, Sergeant? And I'm like, I don't know if it was a character choice, or that's what Cuba Gooding Jr. does in real life. But he points, like, he points with an open fist. And I kind of, I like that. I dig that. I might start doing that. Just to, That's okay. my only note on Cuba Gooding Jr., other than... I think he was a little bit of the comic relief. Um, I remember laughing. I re-laughed at a lot of parts that I remember when I was eating my cereal before high school in the morning. Yes, and I'm George from Sioux City, South Dakota. Back of the line, Colonel. We got a terrible epidemic. We're from Cedar Creek, George. We're from Cedar Creek, California. Cedar Creek, site of the viral infection. So he wasn't trying to be comedic, though. I don't think so. No, I just think his lines were. Just very earnest in his delivery. Yeah, he's definitely not playing his Jerry Maguire character, but. No. Speaking of that post office scene, the rest of the movie I'm willing to forgive, except maybe some of the. Well, I won't say that. So the shipping place that they go to is where the manifest from the ship from Africa would have come through so that they could know what ship the monkey was on, right? Okay. Trying to find the source. And they were trying to like match up the ships with the ones that had been docked and all the stuff that was on them and all that. So then they find the ship, but they don't know where it is. It's this it's a it's a it's a cargo ship in the middle of I presume the Atlantic Ocean or something like that. And they're like, Oh, we don't need we don't know where it is. And right there the movie's like that's like hit the brakes like because how are they going to find that out lucky for them the receptionist at the post office just happens to say well i've got a friend in the coast guard and then they say how good of a friend as if that matters right and then she says closer than his wife would like so there's another movie i want to see is the backstory of this post office worker who's carrying on an affair with a guy in the coast guard who happens to know how to get the location of this needle in a haystack ship that was carrying a diseased monkey from Africa. That's what you that, to me, You might as well have named her Mrs. McGuffin because that to me was just like, that was a big leap. I thought you were going to go for it. It's like the same five minutes of the movie, but like Dustin Hoffman is trying to get through to the guy and then he just starts grabbing his hands and he's like, I need this information. You want me to cough on you? And like, See, that was great though. That was like, that's exactly. That that you heard about this virus. Need we say more? Okay. We need all the bills of lading from ships arriving from Africa. Africa in the last three months. George. Uh-huh. Shall I cough on you, George? Uh, no. Mrs. Pananini. Now you're talking, George. Uh, Mrs. Pananini. What? I think these men need some help. Biotest has to be very careful in its paperwork. Live cargo, federal regulations. Thank you. Right, here's our list. Compare it with your biotest list. All right, you ready? Yes, sir. Number one, Petrov. Same. Number two, Venus. Same. Number three, Patricia. Same. Number four, Ty Cook. Ty Cook? No, sir. No. No, sir. Arrived in San Francisco a week ago carrying a monkey. No. Delivered no. a biotest. Negative, sir. It's not on the list? No, sir. That's our vessel. Sir, sir. That's the, the boat. The Thai cook has set out to sea already, sir. So what? How are we going to locate it? I got a friend in the Coast Guard. I can make a call easy. How close a friend? Closer than his wife would lie. In the world that we live in today, I'm like, oh my, like, you're going to kill the guy. <laughs> like, if anybody clears their throat around me right now my paranoia goes through the roof and i hate that about right. what's going on right now like but so when dustin hoffman is like all over this guy there was a 
Do you TikTok? You probably don't TikTok. I know of it. There is a TikTok video where a woman is sitting in a drive-thru lane and because apparently she's taking too long or whatnot, another woman comes up and coughs through her window at her. What the hell is that? Right. Well, I'm like, and that's kind of like, so when Dustin Hoffman, like, I guess I got triggered. (laughs) So when Dustin Hoffman's like doing this with like the guy's hand, Uh I was like, Austin, like, don't, don't give this guy Motaba. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, obviously, he knew he wasn't going to. He was right. just being... That was a joke. Trying yeah. to coerce the guy, which I thought, like, that That to me, I thought that part was, like... I, it was certainly more believable than Mrs. McGuff say so that. I will say about Outbreak, Dustin Hoffman, probably not the studio's pick. I know they wanted Harrison Ford for the role because they wanted him to be more of an action hero. Uh-huh. I think he's amazing in this part. Like, I think his line delivery is on point. I love the fact that, like, the helicopter, when he's got to jump to the boat, mm-hmm. like, it's not Harrison Ford doing a dramatic Indiana Jones leap. No, it was very, um, he was very Stanley Goodspeed. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Like, like, I wouldn't I would never call Dustin Hoffman an action hero or, you know, an actor who I would associate with action movies. But he did that thing like Nicolas Cage did in The Rock, where like he's he starts out as not he wasn't a nerdy scientist. I mean, he was an army colonel, I think. Right. Or a general or something. He was a high ranking army officer. He had elements of badass, but he was also like kind of that lab ratty character that Stanley Goodspeed was. But then by the end of the movie, he was like you said, jumping from helicopters and flying in between bombs and planes and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was Dustin Hoffman for me. Like he's I don't think I know a ton of movies with Dustin Hoffman where he's not Dustin Hoffman-y. And what I mean by that is like. There's a lot of movies where, like, Will Smith is a good one. Like, growing up, Will Smith was the Fresh Prince. And then it was like Men in Black, Will Smith played Will Smith fighting aliens. Like, he was like the Fresh Prince fighting aliens. Yeah. Because witty and sarcastic. And same thing with Independence Day, except these were mean aliens. And then, or some other Will Smith. Bad Boys. Like, Bad Boys was the Fresh Prince, but now he can swear. Right. (laughs) Dustin Hoffman, for me, does that in a lot of movies where he just... Like, I like him. Some of it might be I'm weirded out because I have a friend who looks quite a bit like him, which is always strange. But he always strikes me as an actor who's kind of like not playing himself, but a lot of his roles are similar in the like the the nuances, like the way the speech and the, the way he will emphasize certain things and the way he chooses to make his voice get angry or get heightened or whatever. And I'm thinking I just watched Stranger Than Fiction. Okay. With him. Do you ever see that? Yeah. His character, not the background, not the like even the characterization, but like the mannerisms and stuff mm-hmm. from Outbreak and Stranger Than Fiction to me were very similar, which I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. It's just a thing. I think it's like, well, it's kind of like the days of yore, which I really appreciate is you get the actors to be the actors playing the part, you know, like so you can kind of just trust the performance and what's coming out from right. the actor. It's not you know, just putting them in a bunch of makeup and hoping people will forget who they are. Like, it's like, right. You can and I can just trust that Dustin Hoffman is delivering the lines and kind of knows what he's talking about. And that's like what, like what you were just saying reminded me of him in hook. Mm-hmm. Like that was Dustin Hoffman, but that was Dustin Hoffman. Like, that really wasn't Dustin Hoffman. He was like, I don't know, the vessel for Captain Hook in that. 
as opposed to these types of movies where he's like Dustin Hoffman playing a scientist, Dustin Hoffman playing a professor, whatever. Right. We've talked about Dustin Hoffman in the past 10 minutes more than I think I have in my entire life. (laughs) Well, that's a good thing. All right. What else did you write down? Well, the movie was written first and foremost by a doctor and the doctor just retired actually (laughs) because I, then I stalked him online and now I'm Twitter friends with his niece. (laughs) Sweet. There we go. We're going to retweet for this. Right. So we talked, well, it's by two guys, Lawrence Dewarit and Robert Roy Poole. The Robert Roy Poole connection to the Michael Bay episode we were going to do is he got story credit for Armageddon. Um, But Lawrence, he didn't really write anything much past this. They wrote a film called The Ultimatum, which uh, Steven Spielberg said it was one of the three most exciting scripts he's ever read. But it got stuck in studio rewrite hell. And so... Wait, this is the doctor you're talking about? This is the, the team of writers for this. So all like the doctors, all like the the virus speak and doctor speak, it's all pretty legit in this movie. The Hollywood action and everything could be kind of attributed to Ted Talley, who did a rewrite, and he did Silence of the Lambs, The Juror, Red Dragon, and Twelve Strong. Twelve Strong is probably like the most relatable one to like the army. The one that just came out recently with Thor, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, the, the guys on horseback. Oh, right. Okay. In the Afghanistan war. And really, the only thing that about this movie where I kind of go, is like the helicopter chase scene where, mm-hmm. you know, Donald Sutherland is trying to shoot down <laughs> Cuba Gooding Jr. and Dustin Hoffman. Like, it's just kind of... Like, Donald Sutherland is... The, the uh, Donald Sutherland, okay, obviously from The Hunger Games, but I remember him most from uh, A Time to Kill. Oh, he said once, and I don't know... He said in an interview, my next role is the most like me. And you never know like when movies get released, if that's the role that they did or did not. But I think A Time to Kill is what Donald Sutherland was referring to, which is sad because he was a depressed drunk in that movie. But He was, but he was also noble. And I mean, he was a good guy Yeah, in the movie, which I guess that would be my like, that was my very first impression of him seeing that movie. And so to see him in this movie and without a mustache was weird. <laughs> No, I told you that when I was watching this, this kind of it sent me down so many internet wormholes. And yeah, I will be yeah. I will be like the first person to admit like when all this COVID nineteen was coming out, like I I wasn't scared. Like I wasn't worried. You know, like when it started in China, you're like, you know, so did SARS and H one N one and you kinda just go, There's another there's another virus. Wait, wasn't H one N one SARS? Aren't those the same thing? No, H one N one was the swine flu. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. And then when there was a case in Seattle, you're like, well, that makes sense because the person, well, at first I was like, well, nobody, you know, the Wuhan province you never heard of before. And so you're kind of like, well, who goes there? (laughs) Type thing. And then you find out that a lot of people go there and they travel out. And then there's another case in Seattle. And and you're like, see, that was that that was the interesting thing about contagion was that basically telegraphed exactly how this started. Yeah. Yeah. Because like Gwyneth Paltrow was in some Chinese province, like in a restaurant. And they imply, I think, that she eats something that gives her the virus, right? Yeah. Something like that. I didn't watch Contagion to remind myself, so I don't know necessarily how she gets sick. I know. I feel like that was it. I remember a scene of her in a restaurant, like having fun with her, you know, I'm assuming like her Japanese contacts or Chinese contacts or Far Eastern contacts. I don't want to get racial here. 
her contacts from across the sea. I don't, I don't know. I'm sorry if I've offended you, but, um, people who, uh, were in a restaurant and then I thought it was implied that she like ate something and then did the Patrick Dempsey thing where she started getting like sweaty and sick on the airplane or something like that. I think she sleeps with, she has an affair and she, brings, um, she has an affair with like a work buddy. And then she brings, I think he gets her sick and then she brings it home to, Oh really? Yeah. I think there's a little morality thing there. Like, Oh, don't go to China and cheat on your husband. So you don't kill the rest of the world. Well, you shouldn't cheat on your husband anywhere. Not no. just China. <laughs> But, I mean, but, I think that's a lesson we can learn. I don't remember that at all. Maybe I'll have to watch this again. Although, to be honest, I've been kind of terrified to watch it because that one, I feel like, is a lot more grounded in reality and would just scare the shit out of me more than Outbreak, which is why at the beginning of the show, I suggested, I think, in addition to the kind of happy ending, this is a much, much more parodied version, I think, of what's going on, which can give a good kind of like distraction of levity, at least, to anyone who's really like bummed out about it right but here's, it's very escapist i think here's the thing that like so immediately the this movie begins i mean they do africa and they they realize there's this new virus and so they just firebomb the village which mm-hmm. you kind of go well that's crazy and then you go well i kind of hope that can happen <laughs> about well yeah i think it's gotten too far to do that now but i was gonna say i love that part where it's just the guys in suits with um you can't see their faces but you can hear morgan freeman's voice and donald sutherland's voice and they're the guys in suits are like motioning as if they're talking to each other <laughs> like these exact lines i thought that was pretty funny it's such a smarter way to do like this is 95 so what that's 25 years ago yeah and now we have like gemini man where they're tr- trying to pull off a younger will smith right an older will smith like it was a budget fix i don't i don't fault them for it it worked so then the next thing you see is them going through it's not the cdc it's got a whole lot more the usa m-r-i-i-d oh uh, or something like that yeah Yeah. um they're going through all the different levels so level one is salmon and uh Level two is hepatitis, Lyme disease, and influenza. Level three and is they're, they're show. It's like they're show, It's like it was almost like a one shot thing where they would go in each lab and then out of each lab, right? And they would show on the bottom of the screen like here's lab number one where they work on you know like pretty harmless diseases and then it would escalate until they got to go on level three is anthrax typhus and hiv and then level four is ebola lassa and hanta Mm -hmm. like the wormhole that i kind of went down is are there those kinds of levels and i got like risk groups right so it's all all diseases nowadays are based off of risk groups so risk group one is a microorganism that is unlikely to cause human or animal disease so not much risk group two is a pathogen that can cause human or animal disease but is unlikely to be a serious hazard to laboratory workers the community livestock or the environment Um, risk group three is a pathogen that usually causes serious human or animal disease but does not ordinarily spread from one infected individual to another and then risk group four is a pathogen that usually causes serious human or animal disease and that can be readily transmitted from one individual to another directly or indirectly. So the wormhole that I kind of went down is we all know like when a hurricane is coming to America, as they do, we kind of categorize them, right? And so like after Katrina, we know category five hurricanes is something to like lock up, lock up or leave, you know, like it's one of the biggest, baddest hurricanes. And what I hope happens after COVID-19 is we think about like 
I mean, remember, like, after 9-11, we had the, the really weird, stupid, ineffectual, nothing really happened with it, uh, color-coding system of terrorism, where it was, oh, like, like... Threat-level orange and threat-level yeah. night. Yeah. And then we just kind of, like, phased it out because it didn't really do anything. But I hope, like, after COVID-19, we go, you know, if something happens in Wuhan province and we go, oh, my gosh, like, this is spreading like wildfire and it's killing a bunch of people. Guys, this is a level risk group for disease. And then everybody just starts social distance, you know, like practicing everything that we've gone through with this. Well, why we haven't about, yet. The thing, the thing about this is that there's no precedent for it, at least not in our lifetime. Like we've never had to social distance before, but right? I mean, not well, on a scale like this. Stars, like not on not on a scale like this. But I feel like we've had we've had a whole lot of prologue to this that we could have learned from in some in some way. When this all started happening, like I didn't take it seriously at first. I was like, oh, this oh. is just a thing. But I feel like in 1995, at least when like this movie came out, we were categorizing uh, diseases and illnesses like this and why we just didn't come up with a scale that we could immediately tell, you know, the population like this is a level four buckle up, sanitize, you know. Well, I wonder if a lot of that has to do with like. I mean, honestly, like budgeting stuff, you can allocate so many funds to take care of a category five hurricane, probably not as many as you could a category six, but way more than a category four. Like, I wonder if that has anything to do with it. Like if we if there was a scale established, if that would dictate a lot of other things about the reaction and and government involvement and stuff like that. That's complete like nonsense coming out of my head. But I don't know. That's what I did. That's just what I thought. But I, I think I mean, it would be great to have a protocol that wasn't so like on the fly right as as how this one seems uh, but they didn't have that an outbreak either and they made it through <laughs> you know well their protocol i suppose was to nuke the, t- the town which i feel like i feel like we're past now if anybody nukes us it's going to be the aliens who are just waiting for us to be at our weakest which i'm fine with i'm i'm ready for that you know i'm, I'm i'll be actually very pissed if the apocalypse happens and aliens aren't involved um, but yeah, I think maybe, you know, I'm sure everybody would be loving more direction at this point, except for the people who are just dead set on not following any of it, you know, well, and with COVID-19, everybody's blaming bat soup and we don't necessarily know that that's where it came from. There's a seafood market in Wuhan that kind of Wuhan, Wuhan, I don't, it's probably my Cleveland accent, making it go in Wuhan, but the Wuhan province has a seafood market that probably is not properly refrigerated but people are saying like we'll stop eating bat soup and really these diseases come from like you have the aids epidemic which has claimed over 30 million lives that came from eating primates Mm. you have swine flu which is coming from eating pigs and now this coming from eating bats like it's and the 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 worst illnesses that we have run into in human culture has come from eating these three animals primates pigs bats and undercooked at that so the funny thing is in is we've known since like the beginning of humanity to not eat anything undercooked because it's even like mm-hmm. in genesis book of the bible is to mm-hmm. not anything with blood in it mm-hmm. and so people being like we'll just don't eat bat soup i think is being very it's very specific yeah and i think they're doing that i think that's a human impulse to be like well it's not gonna i'm not gonna be the one that starts like the next influenza because i don't eat bat soup and it's kind of like no 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 (laughs) it's a very short list of precautions like okay guys now we know for next time no more bat soup and that'll take care of it and that's not that's (laughs) not fine (laughs) 
As long as we don't eat bat soup, we'll be fine. There's right. nothing else that can harm us. Well, like the biggest, so the the myth of AIDS is a man had sex with a monkey, right? Which is even, <laughs> which is even more like, we just don't have sex with the chimpanzee, and you won't. Like we won't develop Problem AIDS. Problem solved. Problem solved. Like, I think like the people that should be the angriest about COVID-19 and all these diseases, it's like the vegans and vegetarians who I was not able, I started like researching like, well, what have we come up with with like diseases that are spread based off of vegetation and nothing really? Well, I think that, I mean, I mean, the problem here is that, that we're trying to prevent a source rather than activate a reaction or a, or a protocol to something that's inevitably going to happen. I mean, there's always going to be a crisis, whether it's financial or health or, you know, security, there's always going to be some kind of crisis. Mm. So saying like, if you go through this, this imaginary checklist and check off bat soup (laughs) as like, okay, now we know guys, that was our bad. We know. Okay. Our bad. We know that bat soup is bad. Now, if we check that off the list, there's still a million other things that are going to cause a million other chain reactions that are going to create all kinds of disasters. So I think I think that the point I'm getting is that the the reaction and the the ability of humanity to kind of take control of a situation that's already begun is more important than trying to stop it from beginning because it's going to begin. Right. Well, I think I think the people going like, well, just don't eat bat are the people that just don't eat bat, you know, like, right. That's easy to follow. We don't eat bat in America. So it's easy to say like, just don't eat bat. But in the same sense, people are saying, just don't eat monkey. Easy. Americans don't eat monkey. We won't develop, you know, any more kind of AIDS like virus. But then like the third thing is don't eat pig, like because of the swine flu and stuff like that. You're never going to take pig out of the American diet. And so nobody says don't eat pig <laughs> in America, you know? Yeah. Oh, so you're saying it's like it's the restrictions are um, the restrictions are more prominent and vocal when they're convenient. Right. Yes. That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, so I forget how we get went down that wormhole. What other wormholes did you go down? Or rabbit holes? I did wormholes, not are, wormholes are time trap. My bad. So the uh, the way to solve what they really need in this movie is the antibodies, right? Which yeah. science was my worst subject. So anything I say in this podcast, like don't take it to heart. It's only been fact checked by myself. But the, so antibodies, I was like, I don't know what antibodies are. And so I started looking up like, because really, if you get the monkey, who's Marcel from Friends, it's the same monkey uh, actor, which was. Oh, really? Yeah, that's why I put it in my my haiku that Grey's Anatomy brought home. Oh, oh, okay. (laughs) So this monkey's name is Betsy in the movie. And they're like, well, we have to find Betsy because Betsy has the antibody in her. And I was like, is that factual? Like, if we found the bat? from Wuhan could we create this miracle orange juice in an IV bag that you know can cure Renee Russo and bring her back to Thomas Crown Affair glory no like it's pretty Hollywoodized like you can't necessarily just create this but so antibodies do you know what they are Well, they're like, it's like when you get vaccinated, they inject you with a, like a controlled amount of the actual disease, not enough to like produce a dangerous infection, but enough so that your body can build up antibodies, which are basically like your body's natural defenses against the disease. Is that right? Close. Yeah. So antibodies are sensors, really. So like, so the way. COVID-19 comes around uh, and gets into our system, We, our bodies are like, I, we have no idea what this is. We don't know how to fight it or 
anything like that. So antibodies, mm-hmm. so anybody that gets COVID-19 and is cured and recovers, they now have antibodies against the virus because their bodies know what the virus looks like and can fight it for right. next time. Right, right, right. So antibodies are really just, they're also known as immunoglobulins. Immunoglobulins, yes. Ooh, good job. Which I was just calling goblins. <laughs> Is it immunoglobulins or immunoglobins? Globulins. Globulins, okay. They're Y-shaped markers, kind of like a like a slingshot. And like the slingshot end will attach to the virus, and that will tell your body what to fight. Okay. So, yes and no, like the end of the movie kind of makes sense that if you put... So, if we find the antibodies to inject in people, then our bodies will be able to tell what the virus is and start fighting it immediately once it's introduced to our systems. Right. So, the problem with that is that you don't just pull the antibody out of the monkey and then put it in Rene Russo. Right. It takes, <laughs> it takes at very most, months to, like, to separate the, the essential elements of the antibody and then, like, configure them into a way where they actually work against the virus. Yes. Once, and, and I was reading up to up to years, too. Well, so, we like, don't have it. Like, they were able to find out exactly what happened in, in Wuhan January. You know, like, this is a new disease. This is what it looks like and everything like that. We don't have the antibody. You know, like, we don't have the serum yet to, to solve our current crisis. Well, even so. if we did, even if we did, and, and this, it, you know, they did it on a smaller scale in the movie with the town of just, like, 3,000 people, but... Like within the span of a few hours, like they fly the monkey back on the helicopter. Rene Russo is about to die. And they didn't really say it in the movie, but you got the fan. You got the feeling that it took all of like an hour and a half for them to save Rene Russo and then make enough and make enough vaccines and antibodies for the entire town. Right. There was a throwaway line where he's like, yeah, they just made like five liters of it. We're good. <laughs> it, was like, it was like, no, that's not quite how it happens. I don't think. No. So, Especially when they're but, trying to like firebomb the town anyway, you know? Well, <laughs> but see, that's the happy ending I was talking about, because I think a lot of people, I, I don't think a lot of people think that's how it happens but i imagine that there are quite a few people who would feel a bit of reassurance seeing that maybe the process wasn't depicted accurately but the outcome of being able to stop it was mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah but, but essentially that's what they did they had the, the <laughs> cuba gooding jr took the monkey like into the, it was great he like he walks into the to the he walks through these closed doors with the monkey carrying it like a baby walks through the closed doors and it was one of those almost like it's not a jump cut but it was like he he pushed the doors open and they swung in and then they swung back out and he came back out with the cure. <laughs> He's like, got it. And it's in this little like IV bag and it, he calls it orange juice because it's like bright orange. Um, and then he gives it to Dustin Hoffman. Like he doesn't even give it to like a nurse or like, a, you know, somebody on the front lines. And Dustin Hoffman just kind of like injects it into Renee Russo and then she's fine. And then they're talking to uh, Morgan Freeman and they're like, yeah, we made we made five liters of it in in, in 20 minutes. So we're good. Let me remind you how it ends. (laughs) It ends with this line. Dustin Hoffman is sitting on Rene Russo's bed while she's recovering. And now don't forget that they're divorced in the movie, but he still believes there's hope. And in order to show that, he goes into her quarantine room and takes off his hazmat suit just so she can touch his face one more time. Which, very romantic, not entirely responsible. Especially 
you're the guy with the best shot at saving the world from a <laughs> pandemic. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so after this is all over, they get the monkey, they get the cure. He goes in and he sits on her bedside and they're sort of like exhausted, reminiscing. And he goes, would you go through it again? And she goes, maybe now that I have the antibodies. That was kind of a lukewarm romantic moment. Like maybe oh. I would go through it again for you or with you, but only if I knew I was going to get cured. I thought he was saying like, like my marriage. And then I was like, la, la, la. I thought that was like the very, Oh, maybe, maybe I didn't read deep enough into the conclusion of outbreak. <laughs> I don't know. Let's see. I had a few other, Oh, I liked, um, I really liked the character of Briggs. Who was Briggs, you ask? He was he was the other silver-haired general that Donald Sutherland couldn't help taking the piss out of like three times. Right. And I, I wrote down maybe like, I don't know, three quarters of the way through the movie, he, he had some throwaway line where Donald Sutherland was like, you want to be a general someday, Briggs? And Briggs was like, yes, sir. And Donald Sutherland says, well, you won't. And then just walks away. And I was like, why? What the hell? Why are they being so mean to Briggs? And then again, Briggs is the one who gets to arrest him, which I was like, all right, way to go, man. So that was sweet. And we forgot to start our show again with there's a lot to unpack here because this movie was full of things to unpack. But I also wrote, oh, the part where uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. and Dustin Hoffman are flying in the helicopter to try and stave off the nuking of the town. And this is after you realize that Morgan Freeman and Donald Sutherland are kind of doing this like shadow op where they want to weaponize the Motaba virus and don't realize how out of control it's gotten. And they do this whole sort of side plot about creating a biological weapon just to make sure people got the point that in this movie, government and army bad, Dustin Hoffman and doctors good. Cuba Gooding Jr. and Dustin Hoffman are flying in the helicopter and the guys are um, trying to chase them and shoot them down so they can't get in the way of the plane dropping the bomb. Dustin Hoffman says, they want their weapon. Cuba Gooding Jr. says, they're going to kill all those people? Talking about the town. Dustin Hoffman says, they want their weapon. Cuba Gooding Jr. says, they're going to let all those innocent people die? Dustin Hoffman says, they want their weapon. Where are we going, Colonel? We got to get through the pilot. Can you do it? Yes, sir. Guard channel. Every aircraft has it. All right, get this thing up. Where are we going? Oh, I don't know. Get us in the air. Shouldn't we contact the command center? Let them know we have the antiserum? They don't care. They want to bury the town. Oh, this is crazy. They want their weapon. They're going to kill all those people. Right, they want their They're weapon. They're going to sit there and watch all those innocent people die? Yes, they want their weapon. No. So, <laughs> using my deductive powers of reasoning, I think that the whole point of the army in this movie was not to protect the people, but to get their weapon. Right. And I thought that that heavy handed dialogue was, was a great way to, um, to just make sure the viewer got it. Which is weird because in the same instance, like, I feel like this is like shoddy rewrite cut and edit because I never under, I never got the fact that the army wanted a chemical weapon more so than they were covering up the fact that there was this past, you know, in like 1967 Zaire, where See, that, that to me made more sense than them just going in the beginning in 1967 Zaire, finding a virus and vaporizing it. Like it made more sense to come out of that saying, aha, but we took samples and we tried to weaponize it. And that's why we vaporized the, the, the village. That was more of like, aha, now it makes sense. As opposed to just two guys walking in in hazmat suits being like, oh yeah, these people are sick. Drop the bomb. And that's it. So the political wormhole I went down is chemical warfare was uh, made, 
you know, internationally illegal in the 1925 Geneva Convention, right? Mm -hmm. So 1967, chemical in Zaire should not have been legal whatsoever. Well, it wasn't a chemical in Zaire. It was a chemical. They found the virus and were trying to make it into a weapon. It wasn't a weapon already. No, but I'm saying like to make a virus into a weapon would be chemical warfare. So do you mean to tell me that the government was doing stuff that was illegal in this movie? I don't uh, believe. No, in real life. So in this movie, oh. they go to the Dugway Proving Ground, right? Okay. This is where like Donald Sutherland is in a scientist laboratory and he's whispering into the phone that they're going to have to kill the entire town of Cedar Creek. And okay. so I researched the Dugway Proving Ground, which is uh, was built in 1941 for the express purpose of chemical warfare oh dear. By, by the American government. And obviously, 1941, we're going to start trying to think of like, you know, what to do with World War Two mm-hmm. in the late 1950s and 60s. Dugway Proving Ground was the site of Project Bellwether, which was a study of weaponized mosquito spread infections. <laughs> okay. So we started trying to figure out how to uh, weaponize mosquitoes for chemical warfare, you know, 25, 35 years after the Geneva Convention. And there, then, that's, a, that's a summer blockbuster right there. Well, here is the summer blockbuster because oh, right. the beginning of The Rock... <laughs> So here's the article. On January 26, 2011, Dugway Proving Ground was placed on lockdown. Al Vogel, a public affairs specialist for the installation, would only say that the lockdown began at 5.24 p.m. Employees were not allowed to leave, and those coming to work were not allowed in. Vogel said there were no injuries, no damage, and no threats reported at the Proving Ground. There were about 1,200 to 1,400 people at Dugway when the lockdown occurred. It was later announced that the lockdown was in response to the temporary loss of a vial containing VX nerve agent. The lockdown was lifted on January 27th, so the next day, following recovery of the material. The incident was described simply as a mislabeling problem. Sure it was. Training exercise, right? I'm pretty sure somebody, you know, I, you know, in my Hollywood mind, somebody tried to steal it and then they were found and then, you know, they were, they were tortured until they re- told people where they hit it and then. Training exercise. <laughs> That's all, just, tra- it was a oh, training exercise. <laughs> I'm going to start using that around my house. (laughs) Oh, it's training exercise. So, yeah, so we have this place in the... So VX gas gas is real. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. That's, that's, That's pretty cool. I mean, not cool, but like, I didn't, I had no idea that anything in The Rock was based on reality, (laughs) except that Alcatraz exists. True. But yeah, yeah, so in Utah, I guess we're still screwing with chemical warfare, even though it's illegal. I mean, that... I, I can't say I'm surprised by that in the least, not to get too cynical, but I mean, another another reason to watch Outbreak as we probably start to wrap up here is like, it's hard to grasp the scope, I think, of what's going on. So centralizing it to a small town, number one in the movie, is helpful and humanizing. And then centralizing it further to a select group of characters almost makes something like this a little more human where I'm not saying this, this movie is going to, you know, change anyone's personal morals or, or anything like that. But it made me like sort of feel a little more respectful toward like what you would call the front lines in these situations, like hospitals and, and, and medical centers where they've got the tents set up and they've got like, 
you know, they're trying to restore some semblance of health. And I think that like exposing yourself to that sort of thing in this way where you can look at the TV screen and say, it's just a movie, it's just a movie. It's probably not productive in the sense that it, you know, that you can remind yourself, oh, it's only a movie, but it also makes this type of thing a little bit more accessible in a way that's not as scary as real life. Mm. All right. Well, on my list of things, uh, just I said it was based off of a nonfiction book, but really just the facts of the virus were like the non like none of this happened in real life. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, no. The hot zone was about was the hot zone about Ebola. It was right. It was about four different viral outbreaks. Oh, okay. So Corona means crown because how the virus is shaped. But Corona is also like the common cold and mild and moderate respiratory infections. Mm. So the reason why calling this the coronavirus is pretty much just saying it's like the influenza, like it's it's everything of the coronavirus, you know, dealing with respiratory Mm. infections. So calling it COVID-19 is because co, see, do you know why it's called COVID-19? Coronavirus disease 2019, right? Yeah. And then Outbreak was number one in the box office until what movie took it out? Tommy Boy. Yeah, good job. I read the Wikipedia page too, my friend. There are so many times in this. The only thing that really like I kept repeating over and over. The the thing that they kept saying in this movie is stay in your house. Go back yep. to your house. Stay in your homes. And it's kind of like, yeah, no, that's what people need to do now. Just stay I at mean, home. Get through this. And I realized there will, I don't think there will ever be a, I mean, it's funny to go on the road and like, if you have to drive somewhere now to see like how dramatically things have changed, even when there still are cars on the road, it doesn't feel the same. And you see pictures of like, you know, New York with nobody in Times Square and stuff like that. And it's hard to imagine a time at which everybody is inside at the same time. Mm. I feel like I feel like that's impossible. Yeah. Deep, right? It was. Uh, uh, the only other two things I have is JT Walsh is amazing in this movie. He was awesome in this movie. And what did I just watch him in? Oh, I watched A Few Good Men the other day. But yeah, he was... I couldn't tell what his character was supposed to be because... He was this high-ranking government official. It sounded like he was almost like Secretary of State or something because he had a direct line. Who was he? Chief of Staff. Chief of Staff. Okay. He's he's in this big conference room with all these people, and he's like, he keeps flip-flopping. From what I remember, he, he was like, well, we can bomb this town, and that would be terrible. But we'd stop the disease. But it would weigh on us for the rest of our lives. But we'd also be heroes. All right, all right. Please, please. The president's ETA from the East Asia Economic Summit is about 20 hours from now. He wants a recommendation by then from this group. Now, as I understand it, you want to firebomb the town of Cedar Creek, California, population 2,600, with something called a fuel air bomb, the most powerful non-nuclear weapon in our arsenal. The way it works, it explodes, sucks in all available oxygen to the core, vaporizes everything within a mile of ground zero, men, women, children, and one airborne virus. Destruction complete, case closed, crisis over. This Constitution of the United States, I've read it cover to cover. I don't find anything in it about vaporizing 2,600 American citizens. But it does say several times that no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process. So, a couple things before clean sweep is even considered. One, unanimous, unwavering support for the president on this one. And I mean public. You're going to stand there shoulder to shoulder with him. He goes down, you go down. And the second thing is, I want an army of experts citing hundreds and thousands of lab experiments telling any idiot with a camera that there was no other way 
You got that? Hmm? No member of this government is going to go sneaking off to the Washington Post telling them how they were the sole voice of opposition. If there is a voice of opposition out there, I want him in here now. Those are the citizens of Cedar Creek. Go on, look at them. These are not statistics, ladies and gentlemen. They're flesh and blood. And I want you to burn those into your memories. Because those images should haunt us till the day we die. And I remember, like, that was the vibe I got from his whole spiel. He was only in that one scene, and he was awesome. But I was like, hmm, what's this guy going for? Because I think, like, Donald Sutherland, like, lays down the case. And you're like, wow, they're really going to bomb this whole thing. And then J.T. Walsh is like, we're going to think about it. (laughs) Right. That's what it was. He was very aggressive in his deference. (laughs) He was very aggressive in his, like, diplomacy to Donald Sutherland. That's what it was. Aggressive, aggressive diplomacy, I suppose. And the two other things. So Cuba Gooding Jr., when they get into the the helicopter, they have to, he goes, we're going to have to fly through fog. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, helicopter through fog. I just immediately went to Kobe Bryant. Well, no, there was a part right there where he's, didn't he say I've read about it? Yeah. So that's the same thing he said at the beginning of the movie where he freaked out in the quarantine village. He's oh, like, okay. I've read all about it. So even then I thought was like, oh man, is he going to blow it again? Is he going to like freak out in the fog and nothing yeah. happens? I would love to see what's on the cutting room floor featuring <laughs> um, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character. So the only last thing is Ebert liked it. That's that's no surprise. Ebert likes everything that we do. So IMDb has a thing called More Like This, where they recommend movies based off of the movie that you're okay. looking at. There's usually like five to six movies. So okay. this goes down a weird hole. <laughs> All right. Contagion. Okay. Right. A Quiet Place, which I guess you could make the connection of the yeah. you know the end of the world or whatever. Twister. I guess the don't, feel, maybe? Don't get that. The pseudoscience, possibly? Pseudoscience, sure, yeah. The Jumanji reboot. <laughs> um, Is that the African <laughs> connection? Oh, yeah, maybe because it takes place in the jungle? Maybe. The Lion King. Africa? I don't know. <laughs> and then the last one is Yesterday, the movie about everybody forgetting the Beatles existed. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it just came out like a year or two years ago. But uh, yeah. I, Maybe they were updating this list when everybody was told they had to go home and work from home because of COVID-19. <laughs> and the guy was just like, all right, screw it. I'm out of here. <laughs> all right. And with that, I think um, I think we'll see how this worked. Our first Skype podcast. And um, in the meantime, I think that both Spro and myself would advise you all to practice healthy habits. I should say both of you listening should advise <laughs> you to uh, practice healthy habits. Wash your hands. Don't cough in people's faces. Even if you're trying to get a cargo ship manifest from the post office, that's a dick move. Stay Anything home. Getting, stay at home. Six feet don't, of distance. Don't, don't sell monkeys to pet shops in San Francisco. And if we have uh, to put this down, like why you're staying six feet of distance is because the particles in the air, the COVID-19 in the spit saliva, fall like 90% of it falls within six feet of your you know, I mean, the six feet thing for me was like, uh, to me, that's that's how I prefer to live life every day. So, you know, you still there? Oh, no. And this is where Skype failed us and our connection was lost. We ended this episode with this kind of ominous MC shouting into the ether type moment. But in 2021, we would like to say that was our episode for Outbreak. We hope you enjoyed the show. 
we'll see you next time for our appreciation episode of Michael Bay. Outbreak was produced by Punch Productions Incorporated. It was distributed by Warner Brothers. Second Chance Cinema is a fan of the film and urges you to check it out. Closing credits music is from the film's soundtrack composed by James Newton Howard. Thank you for listening to this episode of Second Chance Cinema. If you have any comments, questions, corrections, or would like to recommend a movie for a future show, you can reach us at 2ndchancinema at gmail.com. That's 2ndchancinema at gmail.com. We have a Second Chance Cinema Facebook group. You can find us on Twitter at MCNSpro or check us out on Instagram at 2 and D Chan Cinema. To help our little show out, please tell your friends about us, leave a review wherever you listen, and be sure to subscribe and download each episode you listen to, as those simple steps makes us much more visible in the universe, which makes these fine secret cinematic masterpieces more visible. Isn't that really the whole point? Now go on, and have a beautiful day, you wonderful person, you. And remember, even the old-ass Bible railed against eating these animals that are giving us new age diseases, and though we can judge those in Asia for eating bat, and those in Africa for eating monkeys, nothing stopping us from wrapping pizzas at Little Caesars and bacon and piling burgers with pig at Wendy's. So put down them stones, my glass house dwellers, and enjoy your day.